the lantern bearer lights the way for those who no more sees the day. Blind eyes peer out from every head, the crowds, the carriage of the dead. A miser thought to keep his gold as shield against the coming cold. But what cared death for mortal gain? He smiled upon the miser's pain. A gentle hand will help the dead to find the way to their last bed. Who engineers the mortal's end will tell you he is man's best friend. Nor crown nor coin can halt time's flight or stay the armies of the night. King and villain, lad and lass, all answer to the hourglass. Golden lads and girls all must, as chimney sweepers come to dust. y'all let's talk about spooky stuff hi to all you guys and gals out there in the hinterlands this is rock and i'm here with my co-host max and we're going to be your guys as we traverse the halls of all things supernatural on our podcast nightmares and daydreams yes welcome to all you lovely listeners here at nightmares and daydreams rock and i are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal legendary and monstrous oh and fun fun yes fun's important but max do you want to know it's not funny what's that living in a haunted house man Plain and simple, not fun. I agree. And you've had a little experience in that, haven't you? I do. As we touched on during the Lechusa episode, the house I grew up in has uh, definitely had some interesting things going on. In fact, even all these years later, my wife has a bit of a problem sleeping there. Not her favorite place to be. But you've had a few supernatural experiences as well, yeah? Yeah, but yours are a bit more unnerving than mine. Let's talk about yours for the moment. So, I've been to your house down in South Texas. Yeah, I think you have, like, way back in the day, at least 15, 16 years ago, I'm thinking. Across the street from that big cemetery, right? That's a one. Nice house, if I recall correctly. And didn't you say a lot of the houses down the street had weird stuff going on? You know, according to the kids living in them back in the day, yeah, there was. And, of course, by back in the day, I mean the 80s and the early 90s. So these are your friends, yeah? Kids you grew up with? Yep. And while some kids can be given a fits of exaggeration, I specifically recall some of the adults in the house I was kind of talking to other adults, you know, like over the back fence, you know, backyard conversations, asking them if, you know, odd stuff was going on in their homes. Such as? I don't think of it was, you know, anything overtly dark or dangerous, just unnerving stuff, especially for a kid. Okay, so, like, what happened at your place, if you don't mind my asking? That's private, Max. Shortest episode ever. (laughs) No, uh, it was just lots of disturbances. Noises coming from rooms that weren't occupied. uh, Apparitions dressed in clothes from a different era sighted a few times, like walking across the main hall in the house. Items moving on their own. Sounds coming from the roof, like someone walking across the roof. Shadows moving across windows at night. Just super odd and, yeah, like super creepy stuff. 
So, walking on the roof, Lechuzas. We thought so. We heard eerie whistles on many, many occasions. You know, my pops, as I alluded to during the Lechuza episode, thought it was all BS, but he would go outside and investigate any sort of odd sound, and he never found anything or anyone up to shenanigans at our place. Did you yourself ever try to confirm the noises? Of course. I was, you know, kind of a latchkey kid, elementary school especially, early junior high, so I'd get home before the folks or my older siblings. And one thing, you know, that I did, I would turn on the TV, grab a snack, and start watching afternoon cartoons like almost every 80s kid did back then. For sure. G.I. Joe, Transformers. Thundercats, Robotech. So awesome. So yeah, I'd be watching TV, having a snack, and then I'd start hearing cabinets open and close in the kitchen, like being shut pretty forcefully. Loud, huh? Yeah. So I'd run to the kitchen thinking, wow, how did I miss mom or pops coming in? And there'd be nobody there. Kitchen looked just as I left it. So I'd walk to the house, the rooms, looking for whomever made the noise. And nobody was ever home. You weren't scared? You know, my older brothers were always playing jokes on me, man. They loved it. Loved to scare me. So I assumed at first it was them, but, you know, they denied it. And then, you know, there was the impossibility, like they were working with my dad or, you know, they were just not home. They both had hot rods so I could hear them drive up. So, you know, it was not them. And it started to happen semi-regularly. So, yeah, it'd be, it became kind of creepy. So when it happened, you'd just be like, oh, it's the ghost in the kitchen again? Pretty much. I'd always go check just to make sure, but it was always nothing. You said something about apparitions dressed in clothes from a bygone era. That's pretty big. Yeah, you know, it was freaky. And it was always a woman in a long white dress. And that sounds super cliche, I know. Yeah, it does. No, just kidding. But (laughs) that is a classic one, though. The obligatory lady in white. You know, it's better than the lady in tie-dye. That's the official Keep Austin Weird ghost. Uh, Yeah, for sure. It kind of had to be, right? So what was the deal with this lady in white? She was focused mainly on my older sister's room, so she'd walk from her room across the hall into the bathroom. Hey, when you gotta go, you gotta go. No matter what room you're inhabiting, huh? Some things never change. So you guys would see her. Did your sister ever see her? My folks did. I did. But my sister never saw her. It's funny, like the first time my dad saw her, it was like 5 a.m. and he was getting ready for work. And he sees this this apparition, this person, this, this woman that he mistook for my sister at first. Anyways, yeah, he saw this woman walk across the hall, and first of all, he was surprised that she was up, because it was early. So the apparition just walked right across the hall into the bathroom? Correct. So my mom gets up, and Pops asks her if she's talked to my sister, and my mom said something along the lines that, no, she was asleep. So my dad was like, no, I just saw her. So they both go to my sister's room and open the door, and my older sister, who was a wild child, was still dressed in jeans, t-shirts, shoes, everything from last night, and she apparently... That snuck out. ruh Kids those days. I know, the ghost totally buster. But, uh, yeah, like kids those days, bad influences all around with their 8-track tapes of Fleetwood Mac and Aerosmith. <laughs> Devil's music, that rock and roll. For sure. <laughs> so they wake her up and ask her if she has company. Like, did one of her friends stay over? Who just happened to have the fanciest nightgown ever. Whoever she was. No joke. She was prepared with excellent night clothes. I always carry extra undies in case of random sleepover. As one should, you should be prepared. So my sister says, you know, no, no one stayed over. You know, Pops kind of does a quick search of a room in the house and nothing. You know, he didn't see this lady in white. Did you ever feel scared about it? Oh, for sure, man. Creeped out. Absolutely. As I said earlier, the whole neighborhood had things happen that were frightening. One thing that happened quite a bit during that time was that dogs in the neighborhood would howl. Like when an ambulance 
would go by? You would think that, no, but the dogs would howl when it got dark. It was nuts. When the sun went down, the dogs all along our street would howl and it would get loud and scary. Now, this didn't happen every evening. Thank goodness. You know, it didn't happen every day, but it happened enough to where it became a thing. And, of course, the older folks in my neighborhood said that the dogs were howling because something evil was hanging around the area. I mean, leave it to old folks to be comforting, right? I'm <laughs> telling you, though, that cemetery... The, you know, the funny thing about the cemetery was that during the day, the place was really peaceful, serene, very green and lovely. But once night rolled around, the complexion of the place just shifted. It became really foreboding. I recall it looking like a movie set at times, like full moon, fog hanging low to the ground, and these tall gravestones sticking up out of the fog like skeletal fingers. <laughs> nice description. You could see this from the front yard of your house? Oh, yeah, man. It was a spooky slash cool place to grow up. Definitely let my imagination run wild, which, hey, as we know, back in the 80s, we didn't have phones to keep us occupied 100% of the time, so that was a good thing. We had to kind of make our own fun. Which I'm thankful for. You know, kind of stoked your creativity. Same here. We had to use our imagination back then, y'all. So I'm going off topic here, but prime example. You remember this classic handheld electronic football games back then, right? They had like four buttons and a little molded plastic field. Vaguely. Well, you know, the figures on the field were only red squares. And we're supposed to think these little red squares were football players and wide receivers and stuff. Pretty basic. Our imaginations brought it to life. So it's pretty much the anti-Madden back in the day. So games now are like freaking movies, which I love. Okay. <laughs> so back to topic. Just because you didn't have that NFL game doesn't mean it wasn't. Hey, I'm, just being, I'm just being resentful because I didn't have it yet. So yeah, in comparison, the house I grew up in was only a mildly haunted house. Creepy would make the hairs on your arm stand up, but you didn't feel super unsafe. But the graveyard across the street was always a cherry on top. Took the creepiness to the next level. As a good final resting place should. Shall we get into a story? A story on hauntings? Of course. Let's talk about Radiant Boys. In the waning years of the 18th century, Captain Robert Stewart was hunting in Ireland, where he was stationed. A sudden storm overtook him and he was forced to seek shelter in the home of a country gentleman. The small staff of the home quickly provided a makeshift bed for the officer beside a roaring fire. Warm, and with a bit of whiskey to warm him further, he was soon sound asleep. A bright light brighter than the now extinguished fire woke him. In front of him, bathed in a spectacular radiance, stood a beautiful boy who was solemnly staring at him. Soon the vision faded, and it was all dark again. In the morning, Stuart related his tale to the gentleman, who explained that he would never have put the captain in there had he had room elsewhere. He went on to say that the room was haunted by a radiant boy, and whoever saw the ghostly lad would rise to great heights of power, yet at the peak of his influence would die a violent death. The officer dismissed such nonsense and thanked the man for his hospitality. Soon, however... Captain Robert Stewart became the Viscount Castlereagh, second Marquis of Londonderry, and became a member of the British House of Commons. He then went on to become the Secretary of State and Foreign Secretary. In 1822, perhaps overcome with depression and overworked, he slit his own throat with a penknife, fulfilling the curse of the Radiant Boy.
So another Harbinger-type spirit that brings dark tidings. You know, just for once, I'd like one of these Harbinger spirits to portend something good, you know? Like, untold riches would be a nice start. Seriously, like the spirit of the lottery should be a friendly lab that appears before you carrying a bag of gold coins in its mouth. What a good boy that would be. (laughs) I, I agree 100%. So, Radiant Boys, what else can you tell us about them? Well, according to the lore, they seem to be spirits of boys who were murdered by their mothers. Well, that's terrible. I agree. And some legends say they don't always portend death. Sometimes it's bad luck or disaster. So yeah, still nothing good. I want the lottery Labrador to appear before me with his bag of gold coins. Look at us. Here we are creating new myths. Positive myths, baby. Dear listeners, please chime in and let us know when and where you cited the lottery Labrador. I want to cite him at the Lamborghini dealership. I get you. And I wish you the best of luck in citing the Lottery Labrador at the uh, Austin Lamborghini dealership. (laughs) So, shifting back to Radiant Boys, they're thought to have originated in Germanic lore where they are referred to as Kindermorderinnen. And as I said earlier, are thought to be the spirits of children murdered by their mothers. This back then may have been more of a common theme because back then medieval law said something along the lines that a second, third wife would inherit all of the husband's land or possessions if all of his children died. Ah, so the wicked stepmother. Yeah, the wicked stepmother herself has become this archetype of evil in fairy tales. May have been more truth than we thought. Yep. So a theory behind Radiant Boys is that these poor spirits are the souls of those kids killed by their mothers who either couldn't support them or maybe seduced and had the child and didn't want the shame of having the child while they were unmarried or the wicked stepmother looking to gain the land and possessions. Any way you look at it, it's a pretty sad situation. For sure. So let's just touch on your haunted experiences real quick. Sounds good. So this happened in Austin, yeah? Yeah, and like yours, it's been years The disturbing aspect of the whole thing is that whatever was causing the odd things to happen seemed to have followed us from the fourplex my girlfriend and I were living in to the house we bought after our lease was up. Ooh, followed you? Yeah. All right, so give us a lowdown. What happened? So we were living uh, very close to the University of Texas campus, just north of it, back in the 90s. We were living in a fourplex, and though there was never really an ominous feeling... Some things we couldn't explain began to happen on a pretty regular basis. Continue. So things would go missing. Random items, books, keys, pictures. They would appear for weeks, or disappear for weeks, rather, and then randomly show up again, like on the floor in the middle of the living room. Oh, man. Sounds like you guys had a house spirit. Maybe a brownie. Great. Now I want brownies. (laughs) Magic brownies. (laughs) (laughs) All brownies are magic, right? True enough. So it always seemed that whatever was missing showed back up after we basically bought the replacement for whatever it was. Sounds more like mischievous than anything. For sure. And that's more or less how we took it. But the other thing that happened, and it happened quite often, was a bit more disturbing. Mm, That's interesting. What was it? So whenever I or my girlfriend or anyone for that matter took a shower or a bath or were in the back of the house in the bathroom, well, it sounded like the front door would open and someone would begin walking through the house. What? And there was no one there? Nope, it just sounded like exactly like the door opening and someone walking around on the creaky wooden floors. So I'd rush out in my towel to see what was up. Nothing. Really freaked my girlfriend out. As you'd expect, 
Was this every time when you showered? Not every time, no, but very often. And enough that it became like kind of a recurring thing. And we were definitely searching for answers. Noisy pipes, the neighbor next door. I mean, we just couldn't come up with anything feasible. That's disturbing. And it really didn't help matters that we lived next to a super creepy guy. I mean, we were just That's not praying. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Never we're, helpful. <laughs> we were not entirely convinced that he was not a psychopath, but... Yeah, you know, again, that never helps. So when you guys moved out, things kept happening at your new place. Did your brownie follow you? Yeah, we are at the point that when things went missing, we would just talk aloud and say, okay, very funny, but can you please bring the book back? I need it. Never really happened in a timely fashion, though, I have to say. Yeah, right. Just whenever the house brownie was done reading the book or joy riding in your car, he was done. <laughs> Exactly. I was wondering where that gas went. So, you know, I've been to your house, obviously, and nothing seems amiss now. No, it eventually stopped happening. And I recall the last occurrence. We were sitting in the living room on the couch watching TV one night. And all of a sudden, we hear the sound of water running. So I rush into the bathroom and the faucet on the sink is going full blast. I mean, water just splashing everywhere. And there's no way you left it on, right? No, no way. I mean, it was full on. So I turned it off. We dried the bathroom up and nothing ever happened again. It was the last thing that happened in my meager haunting experience. Wow. That might have been your house brownie saying goodbye. You obviously sent it away by feeding it breakfast and making a set of clothes for it. Yeah, man. I knew I shouldn't have given it those socks. Mm -hmm. Liberating your house brownie, that's a bad thing. But uh, no, seriously, that's actually pretty cool. It's like whatever was in your house had one last go at you, you know, like for old time's sake, before it wandered off to do more mischievous stuff elsewhere. Hopefully at a neighbor you didn't like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess it had to spread the love and creepiness. It's just keeping Austin weird, man. That he was. Are we ready for another tale? Always. Once the site of an ancient Celtic slash Roman hill fort, Creech Hill, near Bruston in Somerset, has a long history of hauntings. Over the years, night travelers through Creech Hill have reported hearing heavy running footsteps and strange maniacal laughter, as well as seeing a giant figure cloaked in black watching them as they crest the hill. This phantom, this black specter, is known as Bull Beggar. One foolish wayfarer, armed with a stout cudgel and lantern, chose to walk the hill after nightfall. Midway through his journey, he encountered a deathly cold area that was eerily silent. As he stopped to adjust the light on his lantern and stoke his courage, a large figure, some tall thing, lifted itself from the ground in front of him. Surprised the man struck out with his cudgel, was horrified to see the blow pass right through the phantom. Swiftly, The man turned to run, only to find his feet rooted to the spot, cementing him to the location with his attacker. The man swung again and again at his attacker, only to be defeated by a roaring, crazed laughter that weakened his knees. Only when the first rays of dawn arrived did the apparition disappear, and finally, at long last, the man was able to move once more. Another tale is of a farmer on his way back from market, it came upon a figure lying prone on the road through the hill near dark. The farmer, a kindly man, stopped to check on the figure. Before he was five paces away, the figure rose up to an impressive height looming over the farmer. 
cold irradiated in waves, and the farmer turned and fled while the figure let out a series of bone-chilling shrieks. The poor man raced home with the figure hot on his heels, howling the entire time. As the farmer burst through his front door, his surprised wife caught a fleeting glimpse of a tall black figure floating back to Creech Hill. So, yeah, not feeling the need to go to Creech Hill. Yeah, it would seem to be a place best avoided, you know, but I'm sure it's lovely in the daytime. <laughs> yeah, the phantom there definitely inspires fear in people, but I guess it doesn't really harm them. I'd say being rooted to a spot for hours before sunrise is kind of a form of torture. I mean, a tall black specter howling around you while you're unable to move. That's all kind of nope right there. Well said. Bull beggar doesn't sound like the friendliest sort of spirit. He doesn't sound like your friendly house brownie. Yeah, my house brownie was way friendlier. Yep. So Creech Hill exemplifies the classic line from Eddie Izzard. Ciao. Le singe est sous la branche. That one. <laughs> le chat under le tobe. <laughs> I don't think he said under, but yeah. He said something along the lines like, I'm from Europe, where the history comes from. So, you know, there's so many interesting tales of ghosts and goblins that originate from there. Absolutely. And so many types of hauntings as well. Absolutely. Back at you. So, one type of haunting is historical. It's one that I consider to be something of a time anomaly or a time slip. And honestly, it's more than just a haunting. It's basically when you run into people just going about their daily routines, dressed in whatever fashion was appropriate for their era. And the person is actually in the era that this is happening. So it's kind of a trip back in time. Like the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like the Rent Fair. Drinking meat, eating turkey legs, and uh, drunkenly throwing knives and axes. I feel like I'm pretty good at all those things. So some sort of time slip went down in a famous case that occurred on August 10th, 1901, when two British teachers, one Anne Moberly and Eleanor Jordan, they were visiting Versailles. So it's a beautiful day as they're strolling along the grounds when, according to both women, a feeling of heavy oppression settled over them. Miss Jordan later described it as a feeling of depression and loneliness. They probably had bad escargot. Can happen. So they keep walking in, decide to find the Petit Trianon. And while doing so, Miss Jordan's mood devolved into, quote, an impression of something uncanny and fear-inspiring. Oh, yeah. So the Petit Trianon, Marie Antoinette's little private getaway, which she really needed, obviously, being stuck at Versailles. So these two teachers keep walking. And again, being overcome by this almost waking dream. So they lose their way and notice that the crowd is thinned out, which was odd for the summer tourist season. Then they run into people dressed in the fashion of the time, long coats, tri-corner hats, gardeners and other servants going about their business. But they eventually find the Petit Trianon. So was dressing out part of the deal at Versailles back then? Like a living history kind of thing? According to them, no. Costumes were not part of the deal. So... They see more people and find some of the people are staring at them, you know, quite oddly. And that kind of annoyed them. Rude. And finally, they see a young woman sketching in front of the Petit Trianon. And again, staring at the pair quite strangely. So long story short, they stay for a bit. But that oppressive, dreadful, dreamlike feeling, you know, leaves them finally. 
And it's not until a week later when the oppressive feeling strikes one of the teachers again, and she feels compelled to contact her friend and confess her feelings during their trip. Much to her relief, her companion mirrors her feelings exactly in regards to the high strangeness and feelings of heaviness and oppression. So what was the conclusion? Well, the conclusion both teachers come to is that they experienced a historical haunting, a time slip. And also the young woman sketching? Well, it turns out only one of the teachers saw her sketching and staring at them, even though they both passed right in front of her. Okay, that's interesting. But what's so special about this sketching woman? Well, they surmise that was none other than Marie Antoinette. And what do they base that on? I mean, it could have been anyone. Agreed. And apparently, though, Miss Moberly did further research and in doing so found a portrait of Marie Antoinette. She was stunned to see that she was a spitting image of the young woman who was sketching and staring at them when they were in Versailles. And to add a little more weight to their story, apparently August 10th, the day they visited Versailles, is the exact date Marie Antoinette and her husband, Louis XVI, were imprisoned to await trial back in 1792. And on subsequent trips to Versailles, they found everything looked different, less vibrant. The people dressed in pretty clothes were gone, and the feeling they endured during the August 10th, 1901 visit never returned. Huh. That was a time of great upheaval in France. More than enough trauma to create a type of haunting, if those theories are to be believed. For sure. And, you know, spectral figures at Versailles continue to be cited today. That's on my bucket list. Definitely want to visit the palace. But honestly, I feel like this encounter is one of those you either believe or you don't. Definitely feasible if you believe in historical hauntings or time slips. But it could just as easily have been people practicing for a play as far as the costumes. Just too many factors to rule out one way or the other. That's absolutely true. But, you know, for me, like Fox Mulder, I want to believe. Fair enough. So I want to talk about another kind of haunting, poltergeist hauntings. Ah, yes, poltergeist. German for noisy ghost, I do believe, as well as a classic 80s horror movie. Nope. What? Wrong podcast. No reviews today. We got to focus. You always say we need some discipline in this podcast. The movie star Craig T. Nelson from Coach's Fame and Spawn the Catchphrase. They're here. Done. Woo! Five second review. New record. Very concise. You good now? I'm good. Continue good, sir. I mean, seriously, what would people do if you didn't review movies that are like 40 years old? It's a calling. So, and dude, is Poltergeist 40 years old? Jeez. (laughs) Okay. So, Poltergeist? Yes. The German noisy ghost, as you said earlier, Poltergeist hauntings are interesting because the hauntings usually center around a specific person, sometimes called an agent or a catalyst. And according to the lore, many of these hauntings are focused around young women. I've read that, yeah. And, you know, no one seems to really know the reason. Maybe it's that magical feminine energy. It's a mystery. Some of the other hallmarks of poltergeist events are objects as large as furniture being thrown about, wrappings or knockings on the wall, things bursting on fire, odd smells, shrieks, unexplainable footsteps or sounds, the list goes on. So just all sorts of fun things. So is the haunting consistent once it starts? No, actually, that's another hallmark. The activity will start and stop at a moment's notice. So once the haunting starts, the catalyst or agent can become the target of physical attacks too, right? There are a ton of famous cases involving poltergeist activity. One of the most famous is the Bell Witch. Man, I've definitely heard of that one. So much info on the subject. Yeah, and quite literally a podcast for another day. I just bring that up because I wanted to touch on what you said very quickly. The haunting, when it started 
kind of focused on the daughter, Betsy. Which I guess if you follow the lore on the subject is to be expected. Right. But it was the father of the family, John Bell, who was eventually killed by the entity. Yikes. And by that time, if I'm not mistaken, the entity had begun talking and communicating, right? Apparently, and like we say, podcast for another day. Super interesting. We will definitely hit that off. Yeah, I'll just keep my house brownie for now. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, same here. The lady in white was very friendly in comparison. No talking, threatening, or throwing things about the house. So, shall we have another tale? If you insist. Europe, due to its history of war, plagues, famines, and other disasters, has without a doubt the largest number of haunted locations in the known world. The Pass of Killicranky near Blair Castle in the Scottish Highlands was said to replay a battle between the Highlanders and British troops that took place in 1689. The sounds of muskets going off, men screaming, cursing, pleading, and dying would replay certain evenings throughout the year, as if the land itself could not forget the violence that was wrought there. At Castle Glamis in Scotland's Angus country, to Rome's haunted Ponte Sisto, the bridge that crosses the Tiber near the Frenesi Palace. Europe abounded with locations where the living could see the actions of those long dead, and in some places, the living could witness the punishment the dead received for the ills that they had done in their own lifetimes. One such place was in Italy. On the quay of the Lungotaveri di Valati, a fiery black coach is seen thundering across that fabled bridge before careening down the bank and into the river. The coach is drawn by black horses, a black coachman, and like the coach itself, they are all wreathed in flame. And being driven in that infernal fiery coach, an emaciated old woman clutching two coffers of gold. This was the specter of Olympia Maidalchini Pamphili, the sister-in-law of Pope Innocent X. She was sometimes referred to as the Papessa due to her influence over her brother-in-law, who some said had taken her as a mistress. Power-hungry and basking in the prestige that being related to the Pope brought with it, Olympia secured positions of power for family and used that power to thwart rivals, political and personal. An anagram was made of her name, Olympia Nuncimpia, which translated to once pious, now impious. Yet it was her callous treatment of innocent himself that brought her eternal damnation. As the Pope's health severely declined, Olympia, having become vastly wealthy at the papacy's expense, stole two coffers of gold from Innocent's room while the Pope lay alone and dying. She told no one, allowing him to die alone while she spirited the chest to her large estate, adding to her fortune. Time passed as time does, and soon Olympia Maidalchini Pamphili died and in turn was made to repay for her greed and cold treatment of the Pope. Her ghost, eternally imprisoned in a fiery coach, flies across the Tiber in a frenzied sojourn that leads to hell itself. You see, Max, don't be greedy. I feel you. Cash is nice, but it ain't everything. True that. Be kind to your fellow walkers of this earth. Share a brew and... And don't sneak into their rooms as they lie dying to make yourself rich. 
That ranks pretty high up on the list of not being cool. I agree. Super shady. And if the lottery Labrador is kind enough to visit you, spread that wealth around, you know, after you buy some nice boots or something. The lottery Labrador. That's ridiculous. <laughs> hey, he's way more friendly than many internet creepypastas out there. True. Hey, y'all. So uh, we are done this time around. And as always, thanks for sticking about while Max and I talk about spooky stuff. Yes, thanks again. It means so much. And as always, give us a shout on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and visit us at our website, nightmarespodcast.net. The beautiful violin you hear is Calliope's Call by the lovely and talented Teresa Joy. Find her at Viobrite, V-I-O-B-R-I-T-E, on Facebook and the Gram. And please, if you like the shenanigans that Rock and I are engaged in, head over to Apple or iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a nice review and always a five-star rating. And as always, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.